So, yeah, as best I can tell, in the book of Revelation, heaven is going ballistic over that truth. And uh, lightning is crackling around the throne and hues of color abound and creatures that we can't comprehend are crying out of the greatness of the living God. Thunder shakes. Thousands upon thousand and ten thousand by ten thousand gather around the throne just saying, Lord, you are worthy of honor and glory and dominion and power. And oh, by the way, Lord, that is yours forever. And so we're just, we're just in that, joining with that as best we can in our broken lives and our broken spirits, just kind of trying to move our hearts toward heaven, saying you are great and you are faithful and we love you, Lord. And so uh, I just pray that uh, we do not just hear a song, but you know, we understand that the demons tremble, that death is defeated, that Christ is astounding. And uh, I, was, I was just praying, like, you know, when Moses experienced the great I am, you know, just I was sitting, listening to that song and thinking, you know, as a church, what would we feel like if we truly stood before the living God and he said to us, I'm going to move in this world. I'm going to draw men, women, and children to myself. I am going to bring the rescuing message of hope and salvation. I am going to set millions free. And I want you to go. And I want you to be a part of that great ministry of reconciliation. I think much like Moses, we would be overwhelmed. And we would sit in the middle of that and say, but God, but God, but God, how do we go? And just to hear him say, um, look, you go in the name of the great I am. You go in the name of the one who takes up residence, not just with you, or I will go with you, but who comes to live in you. And that's a hope of glory that we hold in. And so I would love for you and, and us together to turn to Colossians, the first chapter, and venture into the second chapter. Did you catch that? We're moving forward today a little bit. And just saying, Lord, you know, how do you want to speak through us? And, and what do you want to say through us as you are the great I am? And I, as I read Colossians 1, um, 28 through chapter 2, verse 3, I just want to ask a question that will predicate all of this. And maybe uh, we won't answer all this question today, but maybe we can answer some of it. Um, what if our lives and what if this faith family became the epicenter through which God chooses to change the world? So what if our lives, I mean, so let's just get super personal. Just, I mean, what if you and your life, and, and more than that, because God never intends us to do this alone. What if the faith family that's here, some of you are guests from Kentucky, you know, so we're glad you're here and, and thank God for you. And so you can also include your faith family in this journey. Some of us, some are here from Africa. Welcome. We're so glad you're here today. Um, I just found out we had a missionary to Africa in our worship. And so it's Teresa, right? Stephanie, which would not be Teresa. And so we're so glad Stephanie's here today. What if, what if that's, what if the epicenter for the nation where you're living is just God's going to do something great and we should, and we should contend for that truth. Like what if your life and the life of this faith family, God fully intends to say, in the middle of all this, I am going to explode my name and my fame. And, and here's, here's what we should do. We should contend for that. We should be a people who are saying, we're contenders, well, I will get into that in a minute. Contenders are people who are passionate and focused. 
And so, so here's, here's just a question that should dominate our thoughts. What if our lives and our faith family became the epicenter through which God uses to change the world? What if that happened? And if so, contend for that possibility. Can you, can you join me in that? Let's better yet join Paul in that. In Colossians 1 verse 28, he says, I'm over in Corinthians, which is not Colossians. He says, we proclaim him. This is Christ who lives in us, this mystery. We proclaim him, we admonish and teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature or perfect in Christ. To this end I contend, struggling with all the energy that works powerfully in me. And I want you to know how much I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My purpose, this is why I'm here, is that may be encouraged, that we may be as a church, encouraged in heart, united in love, and here's the so that. They may have the full riches of the complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I don't, I don't have a clue. I just read that and I thought we're going to move forward today. And I didn't thought we're only going to go about a half a breath today because that's just an unbelievable amount. But let's just kind of ask that. What if you, your own personal life, that the Holy Spirit of God has taken residence up in your life. He lives in you. And then what if, because you have partnered with this faith family, God fully intends to use us as the epicenter of change of the world. And if, and, and if we believe that, if we begin to wrestle with that and say, God, that's true, will we willingly contend for that truth? Because Paul says, Paul says here that I contend for that with every fiber of my being. And then he tells us how. And it's, I mean, it's, this is like the easiest sermon in the world. You don't even have to, you don't even have to go to seminary to preach this. He just says, here's how you do this. You did this by one in heart, by being united with love. And here's the purpose so that everybody can know Jesus Christ. So we're going to, so here's just the thought. Are we willing to be contenders today of people who just say, here's, here's, here's truth about us, God. We have found this treasure. I mean, Paul said this mystery that has yet to be made known, yet it's here. We have found this treasure. We have found in this treasure the song we just participated in. We have found that he is more than enough. He satisfies my soul. We, we ideally, if we're going to contend for this reality, we're going to be in a room of people who have said, we have tried and failed at filling our lives with other things. We have tried and failed at filling our lives with Jesus plus. And we're ideally sitting in a room of people who are now at the point of saying together, God is a family of faith. We want among us, as we contend for you, we want to understand that you and you alone satisfy. That we have truly found the treasure in you. And, and, and that this will happen among the body. We will see God move among us through the nations and move among us through the city. When we begin to say, hey, God, look, I'm like the, the story that you told where the guy was walking through the field and he found this treasure and he went and sold everything because he found that in you it was enough. And everything else became sidelined, side issue, and I stopped chasing all other things because I found satisfaction in you. And for us to be able to contend in that way means it's predicated upon that reality that we're satisfied in Jesus Christ. 
We have found the full satisfaction in him. And we're not a group of people. And you're not sitting around people. You're not looking at them next door to you and going, look, your life. I know that Mark's up saying this. I know we read this in Colossians 1, 27, 26, 25, 28 through 2, 3. We read about it. People are contending. But I just, I just don't look to you and see a, a person who's satisfied in Christ. That That's not going to cut it. A church. That is finding great satisfaction in Christ. We're going to look around the room and go, I see this. We're finding satisfaction together. We're finding there's nothing but Christ. There's none but Christ. And we're in this together. And here's the reality. We're contending together. See, I mean, I mean, what if just this question is on the table? What if our lives and bigger than your life as a Christian life is rarely, if ever, described as a singular pursuit? It's about a we and an us. So what if our lives and the faith family, what if this makes us up? What if God intends for us to be the epicenter through which he chooses to change the world? That would be very Moses-like. I am coming to set captives free. That would mean that we did more than sing a song a moment ago. We were so humble before God and we were so weak before God and we were so non-able before God and we're believing that the epicenter of the move of God could happen among us and we're willing to contend for that and we're a group of people who sit in this room and look at each other and say there is nothing that satisfies but Christ and we're going to get after him together that 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 I mean that's a, a bunch of weak people and broken people who are put back together and whole and satisfied by Jesus could truly become the epicenter for world change. And so I'm just wondering, I'm wondering, will we contend for that possibility? Will we contend and say, God, with, as Paul says, with everything I have, I want to, I want to battle for this. I want you to move forward, Lord, because we're a people who have found this treasure. And what's beautiful about the treasure? I want to read in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, if you just want to read a verse with me. Um, I alluded to this last week, but I don't think I ever read this verse. In the fourth chapter of the second book of Corinthians, there are just some great verses, 2 core 4, if you want, in verse 6 and 7. He just says these words, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts. And he did this to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And here's, here's a great statement. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In other words, in other words, in other words, he's saying, you have struck the treasure. And you have found the treasure. And if you're going to merge this with Colossians 1 verses 27 and 28, and the treasure has taken up residence in you, and it is Christ now in you, the hope of glory. And so what we should do as a church is buy a bunch of T-shirts that maybe says something on it like we exist to lead people, but we should have just giant X's saying, here we are, X marks the spot. We have the treasure of Jesus Christ. Come stand around us because we believe that we are the epicenter for this great and grand and glory name of Jesus Christ. He's going to move among us. And so when you come around us, you find a group of people who have found the treasure. You find a group of people whose lives are bent for the treasure. And you find a group of contenders in this room. You find a group of people who are striving to say, look, when you come against me, this treasure 
It's, it's made up in the jar of clay. And I know I'm weak. I know I'm broken. I know I dropped the ball. But in some ways, at times, I just let the radiant light of Jesus Christ move through me. And when I get around people like you, and I look at you eyeball to eyeball, and I begin to just grin because you helped me do that, and we do that together, and we contend for the faith, and we're starting to believe together that God could do something so crazy as allow us to be the epicenter for world change. And this, this would be so fun because then it could come coming out of us and we would just go, are you, for, are you kidding, God? This is all for your glory. This is all for your name. May our name decrease so that you are the only thing left in the vestiges of what we call us. It's just, Jesus, you're, you are the treasure. And so I'm, I wonder, I wonder just, I wonder if we could stop and say, okay, if we're contending, would someone who spent today with me, or since we're in, kind of doing church all day today, would someone who spent yesterday with me say, I just spent the day with a man or woman who treasure Christ more than anything on this planet? On this planet. I mean, just mapping out the last, I mean, someone just, well, this, is, this is where I think Paul would start to say, look, this is where, it really meets the road where I'm wondering if someone walked with you, would they, would they just say, I just walked with someone who is finding such satisfaction in Christ. And I heard them talk about their friends at Mandarin. Bro, there, there must be some God-sized thing going on there because they love each other. This, this, this isn't a big... Mystery, Paul lays out how a group contends together, and I, I don't think I can fully unpack this today, so just forgive me. I'm not even going to try. I just want to maybe throw some seeds out today and let the Holy Spirit wrestle with us on this. Because Paul just says, look, if you're going to contend in this deal, then, then you're, you're going to be, you're going to be passionate together and you're going to be united in love. You're going to have this unity of heart and there's going to be this, this movement among you. And I, I love that, that if you, as you read the book of Acts, I, I don't, gosh, I should know the chapter, but as you read the book of Acts and, and the lost people, the pagans in Antioch, the people who did not know God looked among the middle of the church at Antioch. And for the very first time they looked and they said, look, Jesus moved so beautifully among them. Jesus is so so glorious among them. There's something happening among that faith family that's so powerful that the lost looked in the middle of people who followed Christ and called them Christians for the first time. And and would that be true of us? That God would literally look at, or maybe God looking at that would be awesome. I would love that. But maybe the people of Jacksonville who do not know the Lord, who are lost, would look in the middle of us and they would say, there's something huge going on there. I mean, those people are so radical. They are Christians. I love um, the message translation of this verse. They move in such rhythm of God's grace that there is a holy dance among them. There is a holy movement among them that they walk in the rhythm of God's grace and there is this glory among them and, and they, they, they seem to actually believe some stuff like God, the great I am, wants to move among them, that he's drawing them together, that they have found this treasure and, and their lives, their lives, if, if we were going to go with this message, their lives are a huge X. Now, I, I don't know, I don't fully accept their Jesus yet, but I accept that they have accepted him. 
I see that. And so I'm just, I'm just, I read a message like this. I think about this. I read the scripture over and over. And I just begin to say, God, could our lives become lightning rods of God activity? Places where we're just looking at one another wide-eyed and saying, God, we just believe that you can move with us. And our desire, our desire becomes this one desire that we contend for this. What if our lives and our faith family became the epicenter through which God chooses to change the world? Will we contend for that possibility? I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. God chooses, and He is, He is God, and He can choose to sweep and move as He sees fit. Here's all, here's all I want to contend for as long as He allows me on this planet. I want to contend for a heart of mine and I want to partner with the people whose hearts are like-minded so that we can make room that if God chooses to see fit, He would pour His glory out among us and there would be nothing that would quench or grieve His Spirit. I can't, I can't conjure His presence. He is God. He does that. I can just simply make the path to say, God, we're going to unite in love. We're going to be clear in spirit. Our hearts are going to be passionate. And, and I want to surround myself with a group of contenders. A group of people who are saying, we are willing to get after this. I, I wrote down just, I, I'm by no means of this anything. I wrote, first of all, I looked up the definition of a contender and it's a fighter who's willing to get after a prize. That's a contender. And I just thought, you know, contenders are focused. And anytime you start to read Paul's letters to the Philippians, I just started thinking like Paul said, I buffet my body for this. I will get after this. Contenders are not haphazard. Contenders are not people who are sitting around going, you know, we, that could happen. No, no. Contenders are looking and saying, let's posture ourselves for the harvest of Jesus Christ. And let's just believe that God may want to change the world through us. And we're going to contend for that. And if he does, it's going to be awesome. And if he doesn't, he's still our treasure. And we have found the consummate treasure in him. Because contenders, man, they're focused. Contenders are intentional. Contenders are uncompromising. Contenders usually surround them people because at moments they wake up and they don't feel like contending. They usually have people who will show up at 5 a.m. to say, you are going to contend today. You are going to prepare for that today because I am here to make sure you contend. And so that's why this isn't about your journey. It's about ours. Contenders are surrounded by people who help them to contend. Contenders are uncompromising. Contenders are disciplined. Contenders are relentless. Contenders are undaunted. Contenders are people who believe that there is an opportunity to change the world. And if that is an opportunity, they're going to make it a possibility. They're going to posture their lives in such a way to say, God, we want to see this happen. And and, and I, I just read this. Here, here's what we contend for as a church. And, and I just see this straight out of um, my purpose in chapter 2, verse 2, is that they may be encouraged in heart. So if you want to wonder how to contend so that this isn't some vague, okay, contend for Jesus, love him. No, no. Here's how you contend according to Paul. You contend by encouraging one another in heart. You contend by stepping in and saying, because I'm in your life, your passion for Jesus Christ is going to flow. Because I'm in your life, you're going to have an, an inner strength. I read in Acts 4, I, I read this verse and I think, God, this could, this could be a place for world change. And it, and it was for them. Because it says, all the believers were one in heart. Can, can you imagine what would happen if we, if we actually took that and said, God, that's going to be true of us? Like every believer in this room just said, we're one heart. We're about one thing. That means they kind of united around their passions. They united around what they were about. They united around their love for God. They united around their passion for unity. 
They united around just so many different things. And they said, we have unity of purpose. And this is kind of, this is kind of a group that you can imagine. I don't, I don't see the early church. In fact, I'm very confident the early church wasn't this stoic group of people. There was tremendous laughter. They played together. They laughed together. They ate together. They shared life together. Some of you will like this part. They camped together. You know, they went, they went, they went and they shouted with joy together. They worshiped together. They broke bread together. They communed together. They sold their stuff so that people who didn't have it had stuff together. As you read scripture, and I welcome you to just do better than this, and I am, I've read in several places, 56 times throughout scripture, it talks about this glorious us, that we are committed to one another, that 56 times there's one another's in scripture, because there was this unity of heart that really put them together. I read this and I just see, I see in Acts, the second chapter, the beginning of the church, and I just see this grace-filled group of people who shared life together, who laughed together, who wept together. Get this, who believed so much in the sovereignty and the beauty of Jesus that they died together. And I don't mean in an old age, I mean they died together for the sake of the gospel. Who literally got up and left this church, many of them, and went to other places because people don't know. And as I was just reading this week, Paul said, you know what? I don't necessarily want to preach to people who know. I want to go to people who don't know and haven't heard the word yet. And some of them did. I mean, they shared, they shared life together. I read this and I think, God, that seems to be the unity of heart you look for. Not a group of get people who said, my membership's at Mandarin Baptist. I mean, that's well and good. But I think he's looking for people who are encouraging one another in hearts. Like who share the same heart and passion and are, are just saying, God, we want our hearts to move toward you. They were a group that was one in heart. And the fruit of that, I mean, it was prolific. I mean, their, their shared life just brought people day in and day out to know the Lord and thousands were saved. And I'm just, I'm just praying that we will have unity of heart. That we'll recognize the vitality of what God wants to do through us. I was, I was um, sitting Wednesday night in, a, in with our group in a Bible study, and Mark Batterson said something powerful. He said, do you recognize that every one of you in this room are irreplaceable and invaluable to the kingdom of God? And I, re- I read that, I thought, that's way too self-centered. And then the way he explained it was a whole lot better. And then I kind of added some thoughts to that. But when we talk about this unity of heart, do you recognize that every one of us in this room are irreplaceable and invaluable to the kingdom of God? And, and here's where we begin to dig into that. Do you recognize that? Because um, in Ephesians, the first chapter, the scripture says of you that you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. I guess it would be kind of potent and powerful. It's a little less about you at this point. But not only that, but Psalm 139 says not only were you chosen by God before the foundation of the world, but you were knit together in your mother's womb by God. Not only were you knit together in your mother's womb, but you also God's ordained your days. In other words, you, you may not like this, but he knows when you'll breathe your last breath. Therefore, you're immortal until he's done with you. That lends a lot of freedom to his sovereignty. You can walk around with a great God confidence knowing that. Not only that, but as you walk through this life, I love Ephesians, the second chapter, where it says, by grace you've been saved through faith. It is a gift of God so that you boast gladly and proudly in him. And not only that, but you are his poetry. You are his handiwork. He formed you. And not only did he form you, but he has already advanced plan work for you. And that means if we're united in heart, you're irreplaceable and invaluable in the kingdom of God. Not because you're the important one. You're not awesome. 
But because you're realizing that God is awesome, and when you're in a group of people who are making him awesome, you become irrelevant. Because here's what he, just what Mark said, because nobody can worship like you, and nobody can step in and speak into the lives like you, because you do that and you lend that to the body of Christ. Nobody has the gifts that you have, and therefore, as you recognize more and more the treasure of God, you bring unity of heart to the body of God, and your worship and your life and your gifts, they're invaluable and they're irreplaceable by the kingdom of God. And it's then you begin to say, okay, if that's true, God, then we're just together and we're encouraging one another in heart. And you've put me on this planet with this invaluable gift of salvation in Christ, these invaluable spiritual gifts you have given me. And you have given me an invaluable church family to share in that with. And if I'm going to breathe on this planet, they're going to be encouraged in heart. And if I'm going to walk this planet, they're going to be able to say, God, how beautiful are you? Because, God, I treasure you. And there, there's nobody else. And listen, there's some people that God is inviting you to speak into their lives that I'm, I believe too much in the sovereignty of God to say this, that he can't do it apart from you. I just, he can't. But he so wants to use you. And you're invaluable to him. And you're invaluable to him. I don't believe you're irreplaceable. I think he will move throughout this land and look for people who are, who are after him. But I, I want to sit with a group of people who believe that God wants to use this place as the epicenter for his fame and his glory, and we will therefore contend for that. So can, can I just be super specific? And then I want to just say one more thing. Um, how does God want you this week to encourage someone in heart? And what will you do? I mean, this, so, so you can understand what I think should be happening in this body. There should be massive spiritual movement among this body in answering that question this week. So let me ask it again. If we're in this room saying, God, the epicenter for the possibility of transformation through the gospel of Jesus Christ could happen here, we're a group of contenders. How can I begin to connect my heart and practically my life more intentionally and more deeply so that someone in this fellowship is encouraged in heart this week by me? So what am I going to do? How's that going to happen? Because I think we're What if our lives and our faith family become the epicenter through which God chooses to change the world? And if, if with that what if were true, will we choose to contend for that? Now, I'm, I want to come back next week because I'm just kind of sensing that this is a good spot to stop. But I want to stop by planting a seed right here. Jesus also said, if you're going to be about heart, you also should be united in love. And, and I don't want to not say that this week because I want you to understand that the gospel is on the line when, when we talk about this. In John, the 17th chapter, verses 20 and 21, um, I, I know we like the Lord's Prayer to be our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, and that's a great prayer. That's a model prayer. But the Lord's Prayer is John 17. When he started praying for his believers, he started praying for his church. Then he started praying for the future church. And in John the 17th chapter, verses 20 and 21, Jesus was so explicit about this unity of love. And he, he didn't leave any wiggle room. He said, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples, the church of that day. I pray also that they will believe in me through their message. Listen to this. Listen to this. That all of them may be one, John 17, verse 21, that all of this church could be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they, Mandarin Baptist Church, also be in us so that 
the world may believe that you sent me. This is Jesus' word. This is in red, you know. This is big stuff. And so if we're going to sit in this room. We're going to take, the, you know, the hour and a half to come into worship. And if you're super committed, another two hours to be here for Bible study. If we're going to, like, be a people, we should probably, if we're going to spend this time, believe it. And if we're going to spend this time, we should be able to say, God, what would it look like for a church to be united in love? Because what Jesus is saying is that in this unity of love, we step into the Holy Trinity of God, the perichoresis of God, where the Father, Son, and Spirit are dancing around together and sharing in life together. And there is this unity among them. And he invites us into that unity. And he says, as the church, I will be in you, you will be in me. And I'm praying that they will be in us. Jesus is praying that we at Mandarin will step into they being the Holy Trinity and we'll step into the middle of them and we will be a part of that unity. And here, here's what that means for the church. And I just, this is the only seed I want to plant. Can we just come back to this next week? That means that there was incredible price paid for unity. That means God the Father at a point turned his back and as we studied in our Bible study group this morning, he said, my God, my God, have you forsaken me? And in the period of the cross, God turned his back. That means God the Son stepped out of heaven and walked this earth so that we could have unity. That means God the Spirit plants his life in us in a group of people who at times will quench him and grieve him and he comes and moves among us anyway. There is great There is great cost to the trinity of the living God for us to be about unity and for us to settle for anything less. And this is where it gets super powerful in the church and super personal for you. For us to say we are going to be shattered or broken with a fellow believer is an abomination to the heart of God. And not only that, but for us to be able to sit with others and disparage or move about in among brokenness among the believers is a brokenness among the body. And we can never be an epicenter for the move of God. Because here's what I don't see. I don't see among God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit a single moment of brokenness. I see a unity that is holy. And I read Jesus as he says, I want to invite you in. I want to invite them in the middle of us. And if we are in the middle of them, there will be a unity that prevails that is beyond anything that we can understand and it will require us as a church to contend for that unity and it will not be easy it will not be it will not be natural it will be a supernatural submitted passion for the things of God and a clarity among the body of Christ to say we will tolerate nothing but zeal for the king of glory for the king of glory and that gets exciting so I, just, I, I open with a question. I probably should close with it. Um, what if our lives and our faith family became the epicenter through which God chooses to change the world? And so here's the question. Will we contend for that? United in love. Encouraged in heart. So that could come next week. So that they might know Him. See, that's the beauty. This is not for us. We get tremendous benefit of walking with Jesus and like being in the Trinitarian glory. So that others could look in and know us and say, there's Christians there. At Mandarin Baptist Church, they're made up of a slew of Christians. Jesus moves so sweetly among them. And it's so amazing to watch them move in rhythm with His grace. They're Christians. They're Christians. 
Commander Davis, Commander Davis. They're a bunch of Christians. They're a bunch of Christians. These people that go to Mandarin Baptist Church, they are Christians. Jesus moves amongst them. Jesus moves among them. They're in a holy dance. They're in a holy dance. He expresses life for them. You go to Mandarin? You go to Mandarin? Bro, you guys are Christians. May it be so, Lord. May it be so, Lord. Father, I pray 